How many of you brought a King James translation this morning? How many brought a new King James? How many brought the NIV? How many brought the ESV? How many brought the NASB? <laughs> How many brought the Ethiopian Bible? <laughs> Trick question. We're going to look at the Bible this morning of the Ethiopian. If you'll turn with me to the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, we're going to begin reading and move to a certain point, and then we'll conclude the lesson by further reading the account. But the Ethiopian and his conversion is recorded in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. And what is taking place at this point, Philip has been up to Samaria to preach the gospel. Upon his departure, he then begins to travel. And an angel of the Lord, in verse 26, speaks to him. And he tells Philip, in Acts 8 and verse 26, to get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is a desert road. So he got up and he went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. This was the Bible of the Ethiopian. He was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Now I want you to notice, first, an angel of the Lord instructs Philip, to go to this certain place. And when Philip gets to that place, then the Holy Spirit instructs Philip to go up and join the chariot. This eunuch has the attention of heaven. He has the attention of God. God sends an angel. And then God sends a message through the Holy Spirit so as to bring one who has the gospel into contact with a man who's reading from his Bible. He was a man of influence. He was a rich man, most likely. He was the treasurer. He had been to Jerusalem to worship, probably a Jewish proselyte, not a Jew, but one who had accepted the religion of the Jews, a, one who feared the God of the Jews. And so he went to Jerusalem to that place where all Jewish males went three times a year to observe one of the annual feasts. And he's traveling back. And what is he doing in his chariot? He's not playing a game on his cell phone. He's not reading the journal of accountancy so that he'll be a better treasurer. <laughs> what is he doing? He's reading from the book of Isaiah. And let's bear in mind that their, their Bibles didn't look like this. Their Bibles were scrolls. So you had a different scroll for each book 
of the Bible. If he had a complete Old Testament, how many books are in the Old Testament? 39? How many are in the New? How do we remember that? 39 in the Old, old 3 times 9 is 27. Got to use math. <laughs> Multiplication. That's just a little memory device. Well, he would have had 39 scrolls if he had a complete Old Testament. Maybe some of those would have been written multiple books on certain scrolls. But the point I'm making is that it wasn't easy. You couldn't just flip the pages. You had to roll the scroll to get from one place to the next. Well, he's at the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. And that particular chapter is messianic. It's about Jesus. And he's reading from this Old Testament prophet. Philip runs up. He hears him reading the prophet. He's reading out loud. He wasn't ashamed. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? And this official, this man of power, was humble enough to admit to a total stranger, by the way, well, how could I unless someone guides me? I'm struggling with this passage. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? This was about Christ. Written by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the time that these events would be fulfilled. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. He opened his mouth, and from this point, he preached Jesus to him. Now, I want you to notice certain things about this Bible of the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian Bible. Number one, he owned a Bible, and he read it. <laughs> he owned a copy of the Scriptures, and he read from the Scriptures. Why might he have done that? Well, if he owned the Bible, then he would have owned the book of Psalms as well. And it might be that he would have read Psalm chapter 119 and verse 105 and understood that the Word of God was a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. He wanted that path in life. He needed and recognized that God's Word would provide the direction that he needed. Regardless of his position, he desired knowledge of the God of the Bible. We all own Bibles. Do we read our Bibles? Would we have been found reading our Bible in a public place or a non-public place? If, if someone came upon, us, came upon us, would they have seen us reading our Bible? Has anybody ever seen you read your Bible? Has your family members seen you read your Bible? Have people on trips where you have traveled from place to place on a bus and, a, and an airplane at the airport, have they ever seen you read your Bible? He owned it and he read it. In John chapter 6, Jesus told his disciples, 
that it is written, and they shall all be taught of God. You don't come to know God through some experience independent of God's Word. If you own a Bible, you should open the Bible and you should read it frequently so as to be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. I think the, the eunuch understood that. And that was certainly his experience, wasn't it? As the result of his reading the Bible, he was taught, he wanted to learn, he wanted to know, he did learn, he heard, he learned, and he came to Jesus. You see, this is not any ordinary book. Regardless of the translation that you own, if it's a good translation, then there is something you need to remember about this book. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. And then he said, which also performs its work in you who believe. It will do something. It will change you. It will make you a different person. It has power that no other book ever written has. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter wrote that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given us in his word everything that pertains to life and godliness. You know, if we looked at that with fresh eyes, if we looked at that with true understanding, we would not only own a Bible, but we would read it. I mean, if someone came to you and said, here, here, this will teach you everything you need to know about life. It'll teach you how to be a good husband or a good wife or a good father or a good mother, a good businessman. It'll teach you how to use the wealth that God has given you. Here, take this book. It contains everything that pertains to life and godliness. It'll teach you how to have fellowship with God. It'll teach you how to live in view of eternity and how to be saved forever. Will you read it? You would, wouldn't you? We need to get back to that understanding. The second thing I would say about the Ethiopian's Bible is that he read from the prophets. Not the book of Isaiah. 66 chapters. Why didn't he bring the Psalm scroll or the Proverbs scroll or the Song of Solomon? Well, he didn't need that one. He was a eunuch. But anyway... Sorry, <laughs> preacher joke. I know one good. Luke chapter 24 and verse 25. Maybe he was reading it for this reason. You remember what Jesus said to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? They didn't recognize Jesus. They were talking about the things that had happened in Jerusalem and that would have been his, his trial, his crucifixion, his death. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Foolish men, slow of heart to believe. If they were Jewish men, which I believe they were, they would have known the books of prophecy. 
The problem wasn't having access. The problem wasn't the knowledge. The problem was the slowness of heart. But let's think about this. Let's think about this. Let's think about our knowledge of the prophets. He said, Jesus did, if you want to believe in who I am, this is one of the keys to understanding. Now, I don't believe that means that you have to be an expert in Old Testament prophecy before you become a child of God. But I do believe that there's something there that's going to strengthen our faith. How many years we go sometimes with never even studying a book of prophecy, we're just not interested. It's not practical. It's not practical. Give me the book of Proverbs. I want something practical. Do you read from the prophets. Have you ever noticed how consistent the apostles were in their approach to teaching from prophecy? And I, and I realize that much of the teaching they did was for the benefit of Jews who would have been familiar or should have been familiar with the Old Testament prophets. But at the same time, even for Gentiles, here is, here is evidence. Books written hundreds of years before Jesus fulfilled perfectly during the time of Christ. I believe Brother Thompson told me earlier that 16 prophecies uh, in the Old Testament were fulfilled in that brief section that we looked at in, in the Gospel of John, just, just pertaining to certain events, not all of his life. These serve as the basis of faith and the strengthening of faith. In Acts the third chapter, as Peter continued to preach in Jerusalem... You'll notice in chapter 3 and verse 18, he said the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You've got to look to the prophecies. And you've got to see how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. Then you can know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. In the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, I want you to notice again in the work of the early disciples, you'll see in Acts chapter 17, and this was a pattern in Paul's life. In verse 2, according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. He was there with the Ethiopian Bible. He was reasoning from the Scriptures. He was reasoning from those messianic psalms and those messianic prophecies that proved Jesus to be who he claimed to be. Now notice this in 2 Peter, and I think this is very powerful and, and should motivate us to want to study at some point. doesn't mean you have to study them every day, but at some point to study Old Testament books of prophecy. After Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 had related his experience at the Mount of Transfiguration where he heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He then stated in verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. Made more sure. Based on what we heard, everything that was said about Jesus in the Old Testament books of prophecy was made more sure. 
to which you do well. You do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You see, these, these books confirm the message. And when you consider that the prophets lived during different times, at different places, and yet they have a consistent message. What does that argue for? It argues for inspiration. These are not men's words. These are God's words. I taught, uh, I actually taught this lesson at the, the senior center this past Friday. Uh, Brother Bishop still schedules me for that there in Bishop. So I went up there and I I illustrated this point this way. You, you ever play that game where you, you whisper some, something in someone's ear and then it go, everybody whispers it to the next person, it goes to the next person, the next person, and then the last person says what was whispered to them? It's, it's virtually never the same. And what I did with, with them, I didn't actually do this, but I, I asked them to imagine. Here's a man sitting to my left and he's wearing a roll tide cap. And then, and then somewhere along the way there were, were others wearing war eagle caps. <laughs> Alright, Auburn people, you're weak. And I said, what if I whispered in this man's ear war eagle? And then he whispers in the next man's ear and then the next man's ear and the next man's ear. By the time it gets out and over here it's going to be roll tight. And the guy that was sitting to my left, he said, it'll be roll tide when it comes out of my mouth. <laughs> they enjoyed that. But the point is, God was whispering in the ears of the prophets. They weren't in the same room. They didn't live at the same time. They were far removed geographically, and they were far removed chronologically in terms of time. And yet they all had the same message. And it all pointed to Jesus. It was consistent. So reading from the prophets serves to strengthen one's faith. The third observation I would make about the Ethiopian's Bible is that he wanted to understand it. He, he was humble. He was seeking to know more. And he would ask questions. He wasn't so proud as to want to make people think that he knew everything. He asks questions, and he asks good questions. It's the inquiry that leads to understanding. I remember one of the, um, the smartest tax CPAs I've ever known. It was said of him by the managing partner in the firm I was working with at the time. He said, I want you to, I want you to observe. His name was Jerry. Actually, it was Jerry Kimbrew, the Kimbrew of Warren Averett Kimbrew and Marino. He said, I want you to, I want you to observe Jerry when, when we have our continuing education classes. Who, who asked most of the questions? Smartest guy in the room. 
the guy who knew more about tax than anybody. He's the one who was asking all the questions. It's because he knew that asking questions is the key to understanding. But you've got to have the desire. And Paul wrote in Ephesians 3 and verse 4 by referring to this, that is what he had written, when you read, you can understand. You can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. I made the, the point recently that if you go to the Bible and say, I can't understand this passage, you're already defeated. You never will understand it. You've got to move forward with the understanding that you can understand. And let me tell you this, the desire to know is one of the ways that you show God... I'm going to let this one. One of the ways that you motivate God to say, I'm going to let this one know the truth. Why did he send the angel? Why did he send the Holy Spirit? Because God knew in this man's heart was a desire to know the will. Jesus said in John 7 verse 17, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is God or whether I speak from myself. What's the key? Anyone, he said, anyone is willing to do his will. Well, the one who is willing to do his will is the one who wants to know his will. We need to be like those Bereans of whom it was written in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things they were being taught were so. Why is that so important? It's because it's the basis of covenant fellowship with God when the Hebrew author was describing this new covenant into which we now enter with God. He quoted from Old Testament prophecy. And in Hebrews 8 and verse 10, he wrote, This is the covenant, God speaking, that I will make with the house of Israel, spiritual Israel, after those days, says the Lord, that I will put my laws into their minds, I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I can't say that God's law is in my mind and written on my heart until I seek to know it and then come to understand it. That's the approach I need to take to my NASB. That's the approach you need to take to your King James and your New King James and your NIV and your ESV. Whatever the good translation it is that you have, you want to know because this is, the, this is the key to understanding and it serves as the basis of covenant fellowship with God. God said, I will be their God and they shall be my people only when it's been written here. And then finally, we see in the Ethiopian eunuch that he acted on the message. He acted on the message that he heard. He was like the one of whom James wrote in chapter 1 and verse 22. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You're kidding yourself. Is another way of saying it. If you read God's word and you think that's good enough. If you read God's word and you, and you understand it and you think that's good enough. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll act upon the word. And that's what the Ethiopian eunuch did. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, after Jesus taught the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, there are two people. There's one who hears my word and acts upon it. There's one who hears my word and does nothing. 
the one who hears my word and acts upon it, he's like the man who builds his house on a solid foundation. Storms come, winds blow, house stands. Then there's the other one who builds his house on the sand. He hears it, but he does nothing. Storms come, winds blow, house falls. Which describes your life. Storms are all around us. Always will be. Which describes your life. Are you acting on the message? John 14, 15 and verse 24. I wrote about those two verses in the article in the newsletter this morning. Jesus said, those who keep my word love me. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, you've got to own and read a Bible and maybe you should read from the prophets to prove that he is who he claims to be and then you'll want to keep his word. You should want to understand and then you just need to act on that message. And that's what the eunuch did. In verse 35 of Acts 8, Philip opened his mouth beginning from this scripture. He preached Jesus. And I love saying this at the senior center. As they went along the road, verse 36, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? Hmm. He preached Jesus, and then the eunuch asked the question, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Ah, preaching Jesus must include preaching about baptism. I actually preached this sermon once in Kenya to several hundred Kenyans. And, and I, I love talking about the Ethiopian eunuch because I, I, I said, yeah, you know, the, you know in Ethiopia, just up the road from here, <laughs> and said, yeah, we know where Ethiopia is. not far from us. But I talked about how preaching Jesus involves preaching baptism. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You may be baptized if you believe. Well, he believed that Jesus was the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. He acted upon the message. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. His life would change forever based upon the response to the Ethiopian's Bible, the book of Isaiah. If you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, you've heard it now. You're about to have an excuse. I know you want to understand, but the question is, are you willing to act upon the knowledge that is yours? Jesus is the Son of God. Will you confess that faith just like the eunuch did 2,000 years ago? Will you repent of your sins and then be baptized to have those sins washed away just like the eunuch 2,000 years ago? You'll become the same as he became. The seed can only produce Christians. You'll be a Christian. Are you subject to the call? Please come as we stand and sing.